welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone tonight, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for all God's children and all God's creation. And indeed, the whole world is in need of love, joy, and compassion, even when many don't seem to comprehend the importance of the higher energy being released into the atmosphere those higher energies of love, joy, and compassion matters in life in ways many of us cannot fathom. For the many who acknowledge that the highest energy of life dwells within each and every one, let us radiate those higher qualities of our mighty I Am Presence in all that we do for the benefit of this country and the world. After all, y'all, we made it through the turn of the century and the millennium. 22 years in, and here we exist. And utilizing more often those higher qualities in our daily lives, personal and professional, to recondition the collective consciousness to higher vibratory thoughts and living over those dark thoughts of hate, discord, and destruction that plagued the world in the past and presently, but not only expand our individual life and the light of the collective consciousness, the higher energy will raise the vibration of Mother Earth and elevate mankind to those higher dimensions. And it is this generation, those of us present on Earth at this time, whose purpose it is to accomplish. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life. And y'all be loved. First Steps on the Path For beings a human birth is hard to win, then manhood and holiness, then excellence in the path of wise law, hardest of all to win is wisdom. Discernment between self and not self, true judgment, nearness to the self of the eternal and freedom are not gained without a myriad of right acts and a hundred births. This triad that is won by the bright one's favor is hard to gain, humanity, aspiration, and rest in the great spirit. After gaining at last a human birth, hard to win, then manhood and knowledge of the teaching, if one strives not after freedom, he is a fool. He, suicidal, destroys himself by grasping after the unreal. Who is more self-deluded than he who is careless of his own welfare after gaining a hard-won human birth and manhood, too? Let them declare the laws, let them offer to the gods, let them perform all rites, let them love the gods. Without knowing the oneness with the self, freedom is not won even in a hundred years of the evolver. There is no hope of immortality through riches, says the scripture. It is clear from this that rights cannot lead to freedom. Therefore, 
Let the wise one strive after freedom, giving up all longing for sensual self-indulgence, approaching the good, great teacher, the higher self, with sole intent on the object of the teaching. Let him by the self raise the self, sunk in the ocean of the world, following the path of union through complete recognition of oneness. Setting all rights aside, let the wise, learned ones who approach the study of the self strive for freedom from the bondage of the world. Rights are to purify the thoughts, but not to gain the reality. The real is gained by wisdom, not by a myriad of rights. When one steadily examines and clearly sees a rope, the fear that it is a serpent is destroyed. Knowledge is gained by discernment, by examining, by instruction, but not by bathing, nor gifts, nor a hundred holdings of the breath. Success demands first ripeness, questions of time and place are subsidiary. Let the seeker after self-knowledge find the teacher, the higher self, full of kindness and knowledge of the eternal. The pupil asks, Here with selfless kindness, Master. I ask this question, receiving the answer from thy lips I shall gain my end. What is, then, a bond? And how has this bond come? What cause has it? And how can one be free? What is not self and what the higher self? And how can one discern between them? The master answers, Happy art thou. Thou shalt attain thy end. Thy kin is blessed in thee. For thou seekest to become the eternal by freeing thyself from the bond of unwisdom. Sons and king can pay a father's debts, but none but a man's self can set him free. If a heavy burden presses on the head others can remove it, but none but a man's self can quench his hunger and thirst. Health is gained by the sick who follow the path of healing, health does not come through the acts of others. The knowledge of the real by the eye of clear insight is to be gained by one's own sight, and not by the teachers. The moon's form must be seen by one's own eyes, it can never be known through the eyes of another. None but a man's self is able to untie the knots of unwisdom, desire, and former acts, even in a myriad of ages. Freedom is won by a perception of the self's oneness with the eternal, and not by the doctrines of union or of numbers, nor by rites and sciences. The form and beauty of the lyre and excellent skill upon its strings may give delight to the people but will never found an empire. An eloquent voice, a stream of words, skill in explaining the teaching, and the learning of the learned, these bring enjoyment, but not freedom. When the great reality is not known the study of the scriptures is fruitless, when the great reality is known, the study of the scriptures is also fruitless. A net of words is a great forest where the fancy wanders, therefore, the reality of the self is to be strenuously learned from the knower of that reality. How can the hymns, Vedas, and the scriptures profit him who is bitten by the serpent of unwisdom? How can charms or medicine help him without the medicine of the knowledge of the eternal? Sickness is not cured by saying medicine, but by drinking it. So, a man is not set free by the name of the Eternal, without discerning the Eternal. Without piercing through the visible, without knowing the reality of the self, how can men gain freedom by mere outward words that end with utterances? Can a man be king by saying, I am king, without destroying his enemies, without gaining power over the whole land? Through information, digging, and casting aside the stones, a treasure may be found, but not by calling it to come forth. So, by steady effort is gained the knowledge of those who know the eternal, the lonely, stainless reality above all illusion, but not by desultory study. Hence with all earnest effort to be free from the bondage of the world, the wise must strive themselves, as they would to be free from sickness. And this question put by thee today must be solved by those who seek freedom, this question that breathes the spirit of the teaching, that is like a clue with hidden meaning. 
Here, then, earnestly, thou wise one, the answer given by me, for understanding it, thou shalt be free from the bondage of the world. The Crest Jewel of Wisdom and Other Writings of Shankaracharya, Translation by Charles Johnston, 1946 Nazarene sect is known to have existed some 150 years BC, and to have lived on the banks of the Jordan, and on the eastern shore of the Dead Sea, according to Pliny and Josephus. But in King's Gnostics, we find quoted another statement by Josephus from verse 13, which says that the Essenes had been established on the shores of the Dead Sea for thousands of ages before Pliny's time. According to Monk, the term Galilean is nearly synonymous with that of Nazarene, furthermore, he shows the relations of the former with the Gentiles as very intimate. The populace had probably gradually adopted, in their constant intercourse, certain rites and modes of worship of the pagans, and the scorn with which the Galileans were regarded by the Orthodox Jews is attributed by him to the same cause. Their friendly relations had certainly led them, at a later period, to adopt the Adonia, or the sacred rites over the body of the lamented Adonis, as we find Jerome fairly lamenting this circumstance. Over Bethlehem, he says, the grove of Thamias, that is of Adonis, was casting its shadow. And in the grotto where formerly the infant Jesus cried, the lover of Venus was being mourned. It was after the rebellion of Bar Kochba, that the Roman emperor established the mysteries of Adonis at the sacred cave in Bethlehem, and who knows but this was the Petra or rock temple on which the church was built. The boar of Adonis was placed above the gate of Jerusalem which looked toward Bethlehem. Monk says that the Nazariate was an institution established before the laws of Musa. This is evident, as we find this sect not only mentioned but minutely described in Numbers, chapter 6. In the commandment given in this chapter to Moses by the Lord, it is easy to recognize the rites and laws of the priests of Adonis. The abstinence and purity strictly prescribed in both sects are identical. Both allowed their hair to grow long as the Hindu Kohenobites and Fakirs do to this day while other castes shave their hair and abstain on certain days from wine. The prophet Elijah, a Nazarene, is described in two kings, and by Josephus as a hairy man girt with a girdle of leather. And John the Baptist and Jesus are both represented as wearing very long hair. John is clothed with camel's hair and wearing a girdle of hide, and Jesus in a long garment without any seams and very white, like snow, says Mark, the very dress worn by the Nazarene priests, and the Pythagorean and Buddhist Essenes, as described by Josephus. H. P. Blavatsky If we carefully trace the terms Nazar and Nazareth throughout the best-known works of ancient writers, we will meet them in connection with pagan as well as Jewish adepts. Thus, Alexander Polyhistor says of Pythagoras that he was a disciple of the Assyrian Nazareth, whom some suppose to be Ezekiel. Diogenes Laertius states most positively that Pythagoras, after being initiated into all the mysteries of the Greeks and barbarians, went into Egypt and afterward visited the Chaldeans and Magi, and Apuleius maintains that it was Zoroaster who instructed Pythagoras. Were we to suggest that the Hebrew Nazars, the railing prophets of the Lord, had been initiated into the so-called pagan mysteries, and belonged, or at least a majority of them, to the same lodge or circle of adepts as those who were considered idolaters, 
that their circle of profits was but a collateral branch of a secret association, which we may well term international, what a visitation of Christian wrath would not incur. And still, the case looks strangely suspicious. Let us first recall to our mind that which Amianus Marcellinus, and other historians relate of Darius Hystaspes. The latter, penetrating into Upper India, Bactriana, learned pure rites, and stellar and cosmical sciences from Brahmins, and communicated them to the Magi. Now Hystaspes is shown in history to have crushed the Magi, and introduced, or rather forced upon them, the pure religion of Zoroaster, that of Ormazd. How is it, then, that an inscription is found on the tomb of Darius, stating that he was teacher and hierophant of magic, or Mahianism? Evidently there must be some historical mistake, and history confesses it. In this imbroglio of names, Zoroaster, the teacher, and instructor of Pythagoras, can be neither the Zoroaster nor Zarathustra who instituted sun worship among the Parsis, nor he who appeared at the court of Gushtasp, Hystaspes, the alleged father of Darius, nor, again, the Zoroaster who placed his magi above the kings themselves. The oldest Zoroastrian scripture, the Avesta, does not betray the slightest traces of the reformer having ever been acquainted with any of the nations that subsequently adopted his mode of worship. He seems utterly ignorant of the neighbors of western Iran, the Medes, the Assyrians, the Persians and others. If we had no other evidences of the great antiquity of the Zoroastrian religion than the discovery of the blunder committed by some scholars in our own century, who regarded King Vistaspa, Gushtasp, as identical with the father of Darius, whereas the Persian tradition points directly to Vistaspa as to the last of the line of Kainian princes who ruled in Bactriana, it ought to be enough, for the Assyrian conquest of Bactriana took place 1200 years BC. H. P. Blavatsky Volume 16. As we are entering into the drawing into outer activity more of the service of the angelic host, the cooperation between you and the angelic host will become closer, more tangible, more powerful, and more victorious. This is the gift of the sacred fire of love from the angelic host, which is the miracle presence that life gives you to help you accomplish the great work of cleansing the earth and attaining the final freedom, not only for yourselves, but for the masses of the people who must be helped at this time. You would be surprised if you could see into the atmosphere, as we do, around individuals. You would be surprised at the individuals who secretly within their own mental and feeling world accept the guarding presence of an angel or the angelic host. And if that were concentrated and given more attention, it would remove a great deal of fear and doubt and uncertainty, and ultimately would remove it all. Since fear is running rampant everywhere in the outer world, now is your opportunity to establish this protection around you and hold yourselves invincible against the ever-increasing invention, may I say, of mankind's discord. It seems unbelievable, but it is true, how much energy mankind uses to consciously create destruction. And so this is the action that the cosmic law provides to give you invincible protection against that destruction until the final settling of the score of the world is complete. So blessed ones, I am very grateful for your cooperation in the last few days. And now give this as much recognition as you can, and if I were you, I would not mention it to outsiders at all. Just keep your own counsel. Feel the sun presence enfolding you. 
Invite the angelic host to abide with you and help you do whatever fulfills the heart desires of your mighty I am presence and the ascended host. And you will find inspiration coming. You'll find illumination. You'll find a peace that just seems to interpenetrate everything, and without effort. You just will enjoy doing anything you have to do, because in that is the flow of this protection flame that helps all mankind to become purified more quickly and be raised into the attainment of the ascension. If I were you, I would also apply this to the nation. Ask for a sun presence of the guarding flame to guard everything within your government, and within your land that is God's blessing to your nation and your people. And ask for this, and again, I say, it will enable the legions of the angelic host to come into outer physical conditions more powerfully, and mankind give more cooperation with the power that helps them. Beloved Archangel Michael, Blessed ones, I could go on all night and take you into the secrets of my world of the angelic host, but I think you better not have too much at one time. But if you will use what I've explained, if you will love it in and around yourselves, if you will enjoy it, and give it the thrill of greater success, then every time we come, we'll expand the wave, and again, you'll have more power for greater success. So blessed ones, try to feel that you are going to associate now, consciously, with those great beings in whose being and world there is not but the love of the mighty I am presence unto life. To enter into the heart of love from the heart of the central sun means your mastery, means your victory, and means your freedom from interference and delay in the shadows of human distress. Your distress will fade out as the guarding flame comes in. Your strength and your power to attain your victory will grow in leaps and bounds, and you will always be accompanied by a being of the sacred fire who stands ready to give you whatever love you require to make you victorious. May you feel that enfolding flame of their love as a mantle of protection and power and go forward and use it to the attainment of your freedom. And the victory of that sacred fire holds its dominion over everything in this world for eternity. This is what it means to acknowledge that you are the fiery heart of God. And the angelic host guarding flame accompanies you wherever you go, and it is the power that forever sets you free. May you go forward and feel it, and use it, and be it, until you give it to all without limit for eternity. Thank you so much. Beloved Archangel Michael, 